Welcome to Live Sense 8. I'm Sheila Applegate. And I'm Zach Hansen. And a special shout out to Justin Applegate for the composition of the Live Sense 8 podcast music. In this podcast, we dive deep into the concepts of consciousness and other interesting trivia in the Netflix original series, Sense8. We're doing an episode-by-episode exploration of how we can live a Sense8 life, and we're also talking with cast and crew and team members of Sense8 to hear the experience from their perspective. Enjoy the show. We're going to cover episode eight of season two of Sense8. All I want right now is one more bullet. Created by Lily and Lana Wachowski and J. Michael Straczynski. It was written by Lana Wachowski and J. Michael Straczynski. This one's all about the business. What do you say, Sheila? All about the business? Yeah, yeah, you got the business end. All right. So Jonas is back from the dead. The resurrection. The resurrection of Jonas. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But we open up with him alive. We thought in the last episode that he would not be. But you know me. I have faith in Jonas. And then Leto is moping around depressed after the loss of his career. And he comforts son and he's showing up everywhere. Cavius is navigating his campaign, and Kala is contemplating her relationship with Rajan and Wolfgang, something new. (laughs) (laughs) She asks Will if she should tell him the whole truth, and, and Will is really good. He kind of turns it back and asks, what is your motive? So that is an interesting interaction, I think that it's really important for us to look at our motives when we're telling the truth. Not that we don't tell the truth, but she wants to tell him everything, which may be perfect, but he gets her to look at what her motives are, which I think is really cool. Sometimes it's really hard to be honest with yourself. Right. And we need those other aspects of ourselves talking to us in our heads to tell us to think more. And then Felix, it's interesting, Felix and Wolfgang, we're going to talk more about Wolfgang and the arc that he goes through, but Felix and Wolfgang are at the bar that they were just given, and so Felix was all excited about this path, but now he's sitting there and he's saying, this isn't us, Wolfie, and he's asking to go back and just go back to their quiet old life, which I thought was quite interesting. Yeah, he was feeling quite trapped. Yeah, he got his, he wanted to be that huge mafia <laughs> power source, right? And he's always been chasing the the power and the rich and... Who has? Felix. Oh, don't okay. Think, don't you think? Well... It's been out there as he's kind of wanted in. Because I think Wolfgang was in it, and Felix was always kind of on the outside, I don't, I don't know if that, I, I don't know. That's not kind of my perception of 
I haven't really paid attention to that. I guess like Felix to me seems like a very simple character. Like he just wants to do keys. Like Wolfgang does protect him from that. Like he's worried about Wolfgang, but he got this bar and he didn't know why. And now it's a trap and he understands it. Right. Right. So, but he didn't ask for the bar. No, he didn't. But they gave it to him knowing that he would want it and he wanted that life. He was impressed with that mm-hmm. that lifestyle and they knew Wolfgang wouldn't take it for himself. That's why they gave it to Felix. Right. Because that they knew that he was wanting that, you know, new pair of shoes. <laughs> sure. So, <laughs> and then um, Riley is working with Diego to help out at the police station. And then Leela is luring Wolfgang into a trap throughout it. So she's playing. She's using her ability to hear the conversation and visit in order to, well, trap. I guess you got that word, right? Like trap Wolfgang with the mafia guy. His last name is Fuck. F-U-C-H. When you look at IMDb, (laughs) I don't think they ever say it. But I thought that was funny. And then the other thing that everybody should go research, which I didn't, I don't know the movie Here to Eternity, but that's the, there's a long scene with Leto, and that was his mom's Mm -hmm. favorite movie. And we know whenever they put in a movie or a book that it's uh, an Easter egg for us to follow and learn more about the motives behind Sense8. Yeah, Hernando had a very good theory about Leto there, too. It's very smart, Hernando. (laughs) It was very smart, but Lena wasn't too pleased by it. (laughs) Which is actually really cool, because as we go through and talk about Leto, one of the gifts that Leto has is to indulge in his emotions and not to come out of, of it into the intellect and the analysis, which a lot of us do. We avoid our emotions by analyzing and so I do love that scene where he's just like, yeah, you're brilliant, but kind of like, fuck you. And he, he breaks the... Well, he's got to be a good actor, right? And I am, I'm not an actor or an actress, but I imagine that's a really great quality to be able to have because you have to call on your emotions yeah, whenever you, they're called. Like, you need to have it, like, right there so that people aren't putting teardrops in your eyes and stuff. Right. Artists, actors, writers, all of them have the ability to hone emotion into creativity. And so it's not about avoidance. It's about moving into it to experience it. And he represents that well. All right. So let's go right into a clip because our first clip, this has never happened before, but basically opening scene is our first clip. You're alive. Philosophically arguable, but physically... Yes, I am. I don't understand. We felt you die. I remember the sound of bone saw. Then nothing. So you could be a bolter, he could be a zombie. I believe that was the intention of our friend over there. I think you're the first cluster to get this close to Whispers. You continue to impress Officer Gorski. Wait, if Whispers wanted you lobotomized, then who stopped the surgery? The only person in BPO with more power than him. Are you talking about the chap? As you can see, my status is much improved. A deal with the devil? I'm afraid so. 
I didn't think I could be any more confused by you, but congratulations, you found a way. I think both of you can understand that right now I'm doing what I have to do to survive. Okay, Jonas is alive? Apparently so. I'm totally confused. I don't understand. Okay, obviously the chairman was working with Whispers. When he took out Chrome. But why would he want to save Jonas? If Whispers ordered the surgery. The chairman needs Whispers. He doesn't trust him. Which is why he needs Jonas. That's it. The chairman needs Whispers for the zombie project. Hashtag disposable assassins. Which he uses to eliminate his political opposition. Mitchell Taylor, RIP. What we need to understand is what does Whispers get out of all this? The secret of Whispers is still to be solved. But assuming for the moment that Whispers does have a separate agenda. That would explain why the chairman doesn't trust him. And why he would secretly save Jonas. Because he knew Jonas is connected to Whispers. He needs a watchdog. It's a painful irony, but my life is tied to whispers. And that's kind of what I meant about just kind of down to business in this particular episode, because there's a lot of just stuff that comes to a head. That's true. Like this. I mean, <laughs> like they just uncovered so, like that little clip uncovered so much. And that's the first three minutes of right. the episode. So that is getting down to business. <laughs> I agree with you. And the business of BPO and really kind of giving us the layers of the hierarchy there and the motives. So they're really on. Yeah, I think they're they're doing pretty good business, I think, to expand their business. Right. Like getting rid of the opposition is security, job security. Who are you talking about? BPO? Yeah. BPO using drones Uh to kill politicians who make the laws. Yeah. Like it's well, a, we're moving it's, right. It's, it's not, super. That's that's super smart and super good business. So it's not the it's not the fear of sensoriums. It's how do we take the gifts of sensoriums and use them for our political agenda? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then we have Jonas. So all along, I've been loving up Jonas, and you've been a little bit unsure. So where are you with this scene? Still on sure You don't know. I mean, they even talk about in the scene. Like, you could be a drone. You could be manipulating us right now. We don't know. You were, we thought you were dead and now you're alive and now you're working for our enemy. Right. And you're not giving us any more information. Well, he's giving information that he is working for the enemy. Right, but he's not. So you can deceive people by telling the truth. Mm-hmm. Right? So, again, from my, my particular perspective... Jonas's character is still gray. Like, you don't know if he's helping or not help. Like, you don't know. You don't know. I don't know. I'll put it that way. I don't, I don't know what Jonas is up to, given the, the things that I've seen. He is definitely layered. But he says in it, which is interesting, it was his only choice for survival, basically. Not that he chose. They did this to him. They were going to kill him and then... They stopped it. Like, those are exterior, like, things are happening to him, and then he's using it to whatever degree he's going to use it, right? He's making his path within the control that others are having over him, whatever that path is. But he says... Kind of like Leela. Yeah. And then Wolfie at the end. It's a possibility, yeah. He said something in there about needing to survive, and I think that's interesting, because he does have something he wants to do. But if we go back to the first episode, he promised Angelica to look after the cluster. So 
that's a possibility that that's why he still believes he needs to survive because they agreed to sacrifice Angelica's life for the better of the agenda. Right. And you can't accomplish things here when you're dead. <laughs> so survival's a good thing. <laughs> Angelica's doing some work. <laughs> Well, then there's the zombies that are is dead. It, is it and then, Angelica or is it DNA or is it some type of quantum field? Like, what's going on? <laughs> and then he says he's alive, but he's not alive, which to me is interesting going through the dementia and Alzheimer, Alzheimer's with my parents. And does that zombie type state have anything to do with the physical reflection that we're seeing is a a trend in our world right now as those dementia diseases in my particular world, but I think we're seeing a wave of that mm-hmm. too. Um, you just wonder. Yeah, I, I like I like the line he said. Philosophically, I'm dead because there's so many different layers to what that means what to people, means. right? Yeah. Like if you're to some people, if you're you're breathing. You're alive. And you could be breathing. You could be shackled in chains into slavery and somebody beats you every day or makes you go into a mine and and get coal. And that could be alive for some people. And for other people, not living their passion is death or not making conscious decisions is death. Um, so it's, I really liked how they put that um, into words because that leaves us up to interpretation about what it means to be alive. Yeah. And I think that not only is that a political discussion in our world right now, both in vitro and then at end of life, it's being debated. What what is life? Where does it begin and where does it end? So I think that's a, a discussion that is being questioned in our world right now. And then also, I can't help but now that I made the correlation between the dementia and Alzheimer's and the, the zombies and um, just looking in some of the units in a hospital or a nursing home and how it's actually quite similar to what we see, but are they being used? No. I mean, we're not seeing them go out and kill people that we it's know not of. some epic story. <laughs> but, but it does bring to mind, like we do actually have those states in our world from different ways, you know? And mm-hmm. that question is definitely being debated. What is life? Yeah. Exa- I mean, that's, I think it's been going on for a while. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll come to an agreement, you know, because going to an everyday job every day, you know, and just grinding out in a factory or whatever you're doing and just really fucking hating life. And you feel trapped, like that's death, and then you numb yourself with escapism and all these other things, or whatever it is you need to do to get yourself through that. And then we call that life. Right. And that, to me, that's not, that's, that's why you need courage. And then we've got the whole moving it back to technology and people talking about walking zombies with the phones and things like that and who's controlling our minds. Right, yeah, because we know for sure, scientifically speaking, like we are being manipulated by the technology we use, Mm -hmm. right? We've got dopamine rushes from every particular social media experience we have, 
emails like there's just there we're we're addicted to the chemicals in our body and we are pavlov's dogs <laughs> i have a whole herd of dogs who's watching the watcher <laughs> oh that's a different show so i thought this was interesting right after this scene wolfgang starts heading towards the door of the house of whisper's house because this conversation with Jonas happens first in the woods and then I think it was in the woods or maybe it was just a different angle of it. But they're outside of Whisper's house as he's escaping in a helicopter with his family. So there you go, too, with what's Jonas. Like, Jonas doesn't warn them about him escaping. So there's this sort of little back and forth between that. But then Wolfgang heads for the door and he says, Wolfgang says, in every fight, and then Sun finishes the sentence with mistakes are made. And so they go in, and Wolfgang does his, his safe business, the locks, and Will is with him. So now this was an interesting point to me, because Will was with him, but the Wolfgang says, is whispers here? And then Will says, no, the blockers kicked in. So did we already know that the, like the blockers, why are they keeping whispers away, but not, and the others seem to melt away, but somehow Wolfgang was able to, Will was able to stay with Wolf. Will is the only one that stayed with So Will is the one who's physically there at the property. Right. And then Wolfgang shows up and helps him out. So was it whispers blocker that kicked in or wills because if will was under a blocker how was he visiting right it definitely had to be whispers okay yeah all right that was where i was confused because i was like well if yeah because in the later scene i thought that will well they didn't really show i don't remember will actually interacting with whispers in that scene they were just out he was just outside of the property watching and then whispers and his family were just rushed out i don't remember any interaction between will and whispers in that scene no, but... So that's not... I, what I'm saying, I don't think they were connected in that moment. But Wolfgang says his whisper is still here. But he already flew away, so they meant energetically. So anyway, right. I didn't, yep. it yep. was just... That one was like... I see, I see what you mean. Yeah. It, it confused it could be, me whether Will had a blocker, and if Will was on blockers, would he still be able to communicate with his cluster? That's what made me wonder. But maybe it was just, you know... And... I I don't I don't know, but that could be a silly question. I know they have to display this stuff for TV, right? right but right, I mean Wolfgang would already know what Will knows. That's true, right? But we have to display. Yeah, we have we yeah. have to have the show here. We can't just sit in silence while one person <laughs> does all the talking, right? Like, right. <laughs> that was actually a scene that was kind of important. That I kind of it was just a small detail that I missed the first time around. I really didn't pay attention to it, but what they get out of that safe was actually really important and helps will discover a whole bunch of stuff. And I didn't, I didn't put those two together. The first what did time they I get out? I didn't. Well, so they got out of the safe, a bunch of files that were confidential. And then you see will sitting in his <laughs> secret lab with all the, the maps out and the pictures and all the, so it's like, I just correlated that he got some extra information about what's actually happening with whispers, where is he's at, like to solve that mystery. Oh, cool. That makes sense. And they got his, his ID badge. Oh, did they get his ID? Yeah. Badge there were some passports and stuff like that. So that he pulled out of there. Cool. 
All right. Should we move on to the emotional one? Sure. So here we have Sun. She seems like she's coming out of a club or having a good time somewhere or whatever. And Yeah, because and, that's Sun. Yeah. She's so, just well, out there hanging hey, having a she good was time. In, she was in a nice dress. Coming, it it looked like she came out of a bar. You know, right. we don't, we don't know. know what she was doing. That's true. We don't know what she was doing. But, uh, you know, I'm just kind of making that assumption. And then Lido is just like sprawled out on the curb crying. <laughs> He's like in the road or on the curb. And, <laughs> and she is just like... Seriously, like I don't want to deal. Like she just like walks away and goes. Well, she's like, "What are you? Right? What are you doing?" And he <laughs> says, "He says, um, I'm practicing for my future as a homeless, unemployed <laughs> actor." <laughs> so now he's acting like the, yeah. the being that he'll be later. <laughs> and she's just like, Psh, "See, that's away. that's the creative, right?" He's like, "Okay, in case later <laughs> when I play a homeless man, I'll have this down." <laughs> <laughs> Let me take this. Lido, you can really act. <laughs> All right. So so then uh Sun rolls up into a uh a love hotel as they call them and then we have Sun and Lido having a little scene. Well, before you play it, I just want to say it wasn't a love portal when I went, but I stayed at a hotel similar to that in New York City a year or two ago and yeah, I was in New York City with Sarah, and we got this hotel, and it had all. It was it was a nicer hotel. It was a really nice hotel, and it, you know, there were families there and everything. It was it was a hotel, but it was it had all that lighting, the purple and the blue lights, and you checked in to kiosk like there were no attendance like you didn't see anyone and you were just instructed on how to get up to your room and then even the rooms were all lit in the the white with the purple lights and stuff so i thought that was really cool for me over here in the states so here we are in the the love hotel where your privacy is respected (laughs) unless you are a (laughs) sensate why are you here (sighs) I don't know. <sighs> I don't know what to do. Stop crying. <sighs> Why? Because it's not that bad. <laughs> you don't know that. You don't, I'm sorry, Sarva. You, you can't understand what it's like to lose everything. I can't. I, I lost my manager. I lost my agent. I lost my Instagram follower, my Twitter follower. <laughs> Shut lost. up. <laughs> you have a man who loves you. And you have a friend who is willing to give up a life for you. And you have a mother who accepts you. That is true. And what do I have? My parents are dead. My only brother will kill me if I don't kill him first. If anyone should be laying on the bed crying, it should be me. But you will never do that. Of course not. Maybe that's why I'm here, son. (sighs) 
I really enjoyed Sun's pillow that she was holding because I felt like that expressed her mood. <laughs> yeah, that was great. I adore this scene because it's just so full of emotional truth. And I mean, you got to crack up Lido, you know, telling son, you don't get it. <laughs> I lost all my Twitter followers. You know, <laughs> That's how that's it's all relative. right? It is all relative. And I love that he didn't cave when, you know, because it is all relative. Like we, we can always think that our life is worse than somebody else's, but it's not comparable. And we all tolerate different things, but he didn't cave in guilt for expressing his emotions when she's like, yeah, you know, you have a great life. Here's everything you got. Look at me. He didn't then like suppress his or feel guilty. He just cuddled her and told her, well, then that's why I'm here. He claimed his gift of emotion to the fullest and used it to help her. And... I just adore this scene for those reasons. Yeah, it's awesome. It really is. It it shows a lot about Leto's character and what he can add because, you know, there's it's kind of questionable what Leto's skill set adds to the team if you look at it from a very modern day logical type. He's not a driver. He's not a fighter. Oh, he can act. What's that worth? But we're talking about Sense Eight and being a human being, and emotions are part of our experience. Yeah, and he is the empath in this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in the spiritual circles, we love to talk about the empath. And a lot, I've talked about this before, a lot of empaths moan about how hard it is to be an empath, right? (laughs) Um, Because they have to feel everybody's emotions. But then think about it. The hard part is that you, the other people have those emotions and you're feeling them for them. But it is a superpower in itself. And when we don't get caught up and feel sorry for ourselves for having it, but use it and use our own story. And I, I love that he indulges in his emotions throughout this episode because if you notice, he's showing up more places while he indulges because he's not distracted. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my clients we talk about, we have these days where we give ourselves over to the emotion and we may apply it to a story in our life that's happening, but sometimes we don't even know why we're feeling that emotion and we're just willing to feel it for other people. But those times that we surrender into the emotions we set ourselves free, like he gave himself permission. And we talk about it with the analysis. He's not analyzing things. He's not in his head. He is just 100% giving over to the emotional frequencies in this episode. And in doing that, he's showing up and helping people. Like later he shows up and they figure out he's a bartender. If he wasn't indulging that day, he may not have been tuned into that conversation as much. So it's just, it's just brilliant. Once it is. Again. It is. I think that's a great, you've made a lot of great observations here, Sheila. And it's really good to point out that he didn't defend himself. Yeah, he and didn't. He just, he like, just oh, owned it. Yeah, he did. He's like, oh, this is my job. I got this. 
Right. And then he just cuddled her and then he just moved on. And then he went and moped in front of Nomi and Kala and Kala and and son again. So he helps son out again. Right. Because she's the one that needs the um, bartender, the bartender yeah. skills. So, yeah, I'm I'm loving Lido in this one. <laughs> He's got it going on. Lido has a lot to add. <laughs> yeah, and you know, he dropped his guard, right? He when he thought he lost everything cuz part of his limitation was that he was protecting himself. And now he isn't protecting himself at the same level cuz he was protecting his sexual orientation and hiding a secret. And when that secret gets out, he just opens up even more. Mm-hmm. So it's beautiful. And so that will lead us over to a scene with Caffius. Yeah. And Githu or Githu. That's how I, pr- I don't know how to pronounce it properly, but. But you know what? We can call him Superpower because that's what it is over in IMDb. So let's just call him <laughs> Superpower. I can say that. <laughs> so Caffius, uh, we've seen him, you know, r- working on his campaign and the the politicians around him or his campaign managers, whatever you want to call them, they're just kind of alluded to the fact that he might be in some danger. And they look at some propaganda and stuff like this. And so we have a scene here where Caffius gets a little visit, uh, very politely um, put a gun to his head, and <laughs> had him walk out of the house so he could give him a, a little a little chat. So let's... <laughs> Far enough. So we meet again. Hey, Van Damme. <laughs> so tell me, did that pretty girl of yours turn you into politics or your Silas's bitch now? Why do you care? Just never figured you for doing something as stupid as politics. I want to help. I want to change things. Change? People like what they're used to. People also want things to get better. <laughs> Someone is listening to all the noise you make. You and your lady should be careful. Is this a warning? Bossman don't do no warnings, Van Damme. He just comes for you. I could get off just for talking to you. Why are you talking to me then? Because I still like you, Van Damme. I shouldn't. For what you did to me, I should have killed you. I was going to. But then I had everyone talk about it. Us, the new ramble in the jungle. Me and you. It's like Andy and Foreman. Separate, we are good. Together, we are legendary. Maybe you should work for me. Bossman pays better. If you survive this, Van Damme, you've got my vote. So what did you love about this scene, Sheila? Yeah, my heart is exploding with this again, too. I love the way this relationship is represented. And I think you mentioned, it's just like a comic, the villain and 
the, the hero, hero yeah. and the intricacy of their relationship and getting into the the truth that every hero needs a villain to be a hero and that there's a team that gets created with that. And I love that he says, you know, separate we are good, but together we are legendary, <laughs> you know, because it is like he wouldn't have Rose Caffius wouldn't be able to be in the position he was in had they not started their relationship. Mm-hmm. So I like that. There's so many things I like. I'll let you take it. Yeah, I mean, turn. like our ad- adversity makes us better. Yeah. Right? So duality actually builds us up. At least. Whether we like it or not. Like, yeah. in order to be a better supervillain, you need to have a hero pushing you to be more sinister. And vice versa. Right? So it's just this... It's a. It's very interesting. I. I really did see them as um, kind of playing out this comic book hero villain archetypes for sure. Right, and to me, we take that further to humanity and to the way we play and our relationship to war and death and how that's changed over the centuries. We think, but we don't know because we only had the stories. We were talking about that. We don't from the stories we know of history, it seems like there was more of a connection. And and so still is in this, when, when combat is one-to-one, when the hero and the villain face each other and they're not some abstract force that we don't know when they're not dehumanized the way we, we often do war now, but hand-to-hand combat there in my understanding, at least through the stories we've been told, it seems that there's more of a remembrance of humanity. And in the and in a way, I think that there's a, a deeper understanding or connection or trust in something beyond the physicality. So when I'm teaching all the different layers of frequencies and we go into what I call the vibrant new earth, there's a space that we call that I call the pristine black canyon, where we play out our adversary, we play out our combat or our discord with each other. But we remember in that space that we're all on the same team. And so this scene represents that, that we can play roles, and they're both playing roles here in their lives, but they can still like each other and acknowledge that what I would call on a soul level, they're still part of the same team, that that they're both progressing uh, um, the world forward. They may have different world views, but then Superpower says, I'll vote for you. If you make it, I'll vote for you. So he really does want him. Well, we don't know. Does he want him to have give the change? I mean, I think he would be happy with the change. He's just living in the life that he's living right now. We have that dichotomy there too. They in in the fact that some people want to keep things the same and other people want it to be different. And sometimes you want both at the same time. Right, exactly. And a lot of people who think they want change don't actually want it when it comes down to it because the non-change is safe or I mean, we can't not have change. That right. just change is all there is. Exactly, but um, yeah. So I like that he represents that. I love that we we see the truth that they're on the same team, even though they're adversaries. 
And we remember that without him, Caffius wouldn't be where he is. He wouldn't have made it. He wouldn't be legendary. He wouldn't be right. about to take over and make changes in the community. So that's cool. There is a scene um, before that. We just kind of skipped over it. But when he's talking to the people that are trying to help make the change and, and bring him up, and they're talking about the campaign and they're they're bringing in security for him because the the big villain I don't know the name but the one that he's you know that's been in charge of the city he is seeing him as a threat right now so he's gonna so now Cathius is in danger and the politicians basically it's not just about saving Cathius's life it's the idea that they're saving the idea of change because if right. Caffius gets killed, then no one will ever stand up to this. Right, because they're just going to be afraid. Yeah, so he's just being the first to to make that change. Yeah, so another awesome scene. <laughs> to me, this theme carries over throughout the theme of what we started with, who's the good guy, who's the bad guy. And that, in fact, we are all both and we need each other, like you said, to grow. Like, because we live in duality, we can't separate that. So we see that theme throughout it and we're going to talk about it in the next clip, but a couple places that I saw throughout that is Rajan. We don't know. We we can't, Rajan gets beaten up. He says he's changing. He's on the phone yelling, saying, I'm out of this, but we don't know exactly, you know, we don't know how he got into it, if he's really getting out. We can't tell if he's the good guy or the bad guy completely. Kala didn't know, you know, Will, Will challenges her. Are you being the good person or the bad person? You know, in quotes, if you tell him all about us, are you doing it for good motivation motives or selfish motives? And then... Another thing that happens through this is when Will is viewing at one point, he's seeing Milton, Milton's family, and it flashes so that he sees through Milton's eyes. So he is Milton, and then Milton's wife is Riley. And so it's showing the that they're the same too. And he even says that um, after he sees it, he, he basically says to Milton, and I think it's more of an abstract saying to him. I don't think Milton hears him at that point, but he says, you are just as trapped as we are, aren't you? And so he's realizing even that villain, you know, so we're, so we're really getting that idea that we can't simplify everyone to the villain and the hero throughout the whole thing. And it happened, you noticed it, we think. Well, we noticed that it looks like him if it isn't him. But when Will is um, visiting Riley and, and Riley is walking into the mm -hmm. station. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. Oh, yeah. So, so Will looks at this uh, guy in handcuffs who's walking, being escorted politely into the police station. And we pan over and this guy, so we, we see him, 
he walks up the stairs and real quick the the camera focuses in on him and it looks like will yeah and then will says that he doesn't know what's real anymore yeah he says i used to be so sure yeah and i think because he sees himself as a criminal now right and that's kind of what i've been pointing out is like oh you know He's a cop, but he's had to do everything cops are trained not to do and everything. Like, he's a fugitive. He's into drugs. Like, he's killing people. Like, he's doing everything. <laughs> he's on the other side of the fence. <laughs> right. And right after he says that. For all that, the good reasons. Right after that, Diego says, well, come on in. You know, and he walks him in as a police officer, even though he doesn't see him. He talks to him anyway when he knows he's there. So, um, Yeah. I think that's part of the brilliance of this. And it does lead into the final scene. So, you know, again, like you mentioned, Leela, I don't really like her, but, <laughs> you know, she's got I do. layered emotions and purposes. Well, she, you know, so we, this whole idea of duality has kind of been throughout the entire show because we have homo, homo sensoriums versus sensoriums. Or homo sapiens versus homo sensoriums. Like, that's been the thing. Like, how do we live? Mm-hmm. They're trying to kill us. How do we live? And she represents molding into how homo sapiens do business. Right? So she's being manipulated and triggered, and she's trying to build her own empire, doing the same thing to other people. That is true. Yeah. I don't really like that. <laughs> I mean, the reason I don't really like it, and we'll talk about it after the scene, um, but to me, it gets like this knot in my... I, it, can you get a knot in your heart? Because that's what it feels like. <laughs> I'm sure you could. It's like, to me, it, it gets this hopeless feeling, equally to whispers or, you know... I mean, I I can understand how she was made and, and what her desires are, but what's the point of sensoriums taking over if they're just going to do the same old shit? Like, it's like the same thing as why I don't want us to be traveling to other planets because then we're just going to have wars with other planets until we get the shit done. Uh, the, you know, the way I look at this in, in my perspective in reality is, so let's say you're a young person and you're like, you have great ideas and you look at a, a, our current political system and you're like, man, I want to pursue this because I have great intentions. I have great ideas and I can change this system. So you spend your life and you go do the things you need to do to change that system. Right. And then when the time comes and you, you finally get whatever political office you're in, then the rules kind of change on you and new characters come into play and um, you, you may have to make deals that you didn't ever think you would have to do to push your agenda. And so then, therefore, you started out with good intentions, but it's so difficult because as, um, as human beings, so part, part of this is humans are no different than the systems, that run us because humans make the system and they agree and they run the system. So like there's a lot of this metaphors um, about this kind of stuff, but in, in actuality, this is just people doing people's business. There's nothing outside of like in the matrix, for example, you have the machines 
humans made the machines and they let the system do what the system does and they continued to let that go without foresight of the repercussions of what that may be. So my point here is she probably had great intentions and and the path to hell is paved by good intentions. I love that line ever since I got there. So you can, you know, I I had a great friend of mine. He joined the Marine Corps because he actually, he was like, man, I can change it from the inside. And it just doesn't work like it just the, the the machine is too big to fail. So you need to have a lot of people cooperate in the same direction, not just necessarily one person. You, we, we can't have that hero that everybody wants. We don't have that savior that everybody wants just to hear this one person say, oh, here it is. Because and this is this is great because this is what Sensei it's all about. You know, in my opinion, and this is what the podcast is about, is if we don't if we don't personally take responsibility for living a particular lifestyle that we think is going to generate particular outcomes together as a whole, it's, it's, it's kind of worthless actually. So for me, one of the things that triggers me with her, which I get, it's just a layered thing being in a female body right now because I understand it, but her use of, um, of her sexual power, which she uses it both as a power where she is seductive and a prowess. Prowess, yeah. Prowess. And then as the victim, when she claims that he, you know, and she plays into that victim role with it. So it is the use of power. It's a use of power, um, that women learn to have as a tool, just as you were saying. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Um, and I'm just tired of some of those things. I I guess we're all kind of tired of it, but we're just kind of talking about adversity and human nature. I don't see her any different than Jonas or Milton. No, I right? get it. I, 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 I agree. I don't think they've, until this scene... And we see her motives. They haven't given us. She's been a pretty flat character. They hadn't given us her agenda until this one. Right. So in this one, we start to see that those are her desires, that that is what she's trying to do. And I do understand that. And at the same time, again, it's not her as a character as much as Wake up humanity, you know, wake up humanity. Yeah, it's good that you bring this up. So, so really what we talk about when, so as you guys might know, we're the founders of Consciously Awesome, right? And we, we talk about this stuff. This is part of our lifestyle. Being conscious is really just the, the idea of you're able to make a choice consciously. So a lot of us don't know any better when we're being manipulated, right? Some of us can see through manipulation, and we either when when we can see it, we have a choice, right? When when we acknowledge there's a problem, we can take responsibility and do something for it. That's kind of like uh, the first step in addiction, right? Like, and it's a first step in a lot of things. And so, that's just it. It's just being able to consciously make that decision, no matter what. Like, am I going to? Maybe I'm that young politician, and I've spent my career, and I'm finally here. But I got to make this deal that is really against the fiber of my reality. Like, this is not what I signed up for. But if I don't do this, then other things don't happen. So the choice is, 
I can I can choose not to do this, and maybe my political career is going to just take a nosedive because I'm not going to get media exposure. So the conscious thing would be to do is to not make the deal, right? But we have this agenda. So the idea here, I'm with you, Sheila, and the, the crux of it is is we we have expectations and we want things, right? We have agendas, and until we our agenda becomes life and a life where we're not manipulating the shit out of each other all the time to get what our what we want and maybe cooperating and looking things at a bigger picture then it'll change and we we all have to do this within ourselves and it's unfortunately one person at a time you know making those decisions well okay so i'm not going to play the game right i'm just going to i'm going to be who i am despite the outcomes that i want so that, i think that's where we're at it is it's despicable. It's humanity. It's, I mean, everything about Sense8, this is kind of the, the paradox. One thing I really didn't like about it is like they're very conscious, but they show violence. But violence is our nature. It's what we've been doing, right? And it, it sucks. We don't like it. But they also have to make a good show that's going to get good ratings. And people love sex and violence. And it's not, not part of us. But you have to you have to hit these triggers to make money <laughs> or, or whatever that agenda may be. And so you could choose to make a story that's flat and doesn't have the hero's journey or maybe a beginning, middle and end. And it doesn't get sold. But maybe you made a great story that nobody will ever read because you're not triggering everybody's psychology. So it's just interesting on, you know, what we have to do to kind of overcome this lifestyle that... To be frank, we're all, I'm, I'm going to speak for a lot of people. A lot of people are, I'm, we're tired of it and we're seeing it. It's just a matter of consciously making an effort in our daily lives and deciding on the reality we want instead of continuing the reality we have. And therefore we go back to Caffius and Gutha talking about change and not change. Okay, so let's add into this that it is very clear in here that they have chosen Leela's cluster has chosen Berlin as their sanctuary city that they're going to be able to live in in isolation without without the other race so that they can live as a higher race without interruption and I don't think that was a <laughs> I don't think that was an accident there, right? And she says to Wilt, they make it very clear in this scene. She is from Italy or that region. She clarifies it earlier when we first meet her. So it's it's a specific region. They're in this Italian restaurant, it appears, and she is talking about the grapes and the wine. And, and he says, I like beer. And she says, bring the Berliner a beer. And so there's this whole emphasis on where they are. Mm-hmm. And she says that he could be king of this new world that they're going to create in Berlin, just like all the other gang members of the mafia, right? Mm-hmm. All the yeah. leaders. And he says to her, these are my people and we go to our knee for no one. So we're talking about, again, layers of this. What happened in Germany in the past? What was the intention of that? How did it play out? 
what do we view it? What is our story about it now? What was the story about it then? How would that look if we play it out again? Does it apply to other areas of the world too? Like, are we talking genocide in a certain area so that one race can overcome the other race and live in peace? I mean, this is a loaded, loaded, loaded scene. Oh, for sure, yeah. That just needs one more bullet. And then... <laughs> just one more bullet. Everything and, will be okay. And I think this is great because we we see Wolfgang, and even Will sometimes, but Wolfgang in particular, like he doesn't, he doesn't choose to be manipulated by anybody. He makes his own decisions based on, you know, probably some intellectual methodology based on how to pick a lock (laughs) you know i mean he probably looks at a scenario and all the key players and like oh how does this all fit together so i can just like be left alone (laughs) oh wow that is really true he does navigate life like picking a lock he can see he can listen to the detail he mm -hmm. can see the frequency he can hear it he can right. know the inflection. He he doesn't He's want aware it. of every detail. Right, and he doesn't want it. He doesn't allow himself to be manipulated, even though he is heavily seduced multiple times. He's got lots of people offering him lots of stuff. Right, because it's because he can't be manipulated that everyone wants him to be their leader, and yet they're trying to manipulate <laughs> right. him into being their leader. Right, and so Wolfgang, even though he's a violent character, it, he's making conscious decisions not, he sees through the manipulation, and he's making his choice. Yeah. And that, that, that's what I see in relationship to, to what's going on. Yeah. Because like, even in the conversation, she says, Wolfgang, you're, like, you're not like everybody else, and he's like, yeah, but you are, so I don't want to mess with you. Mm-hmm. because you are just like everybody else. You're right. not going to make the right decisions. You're going to continue on this journey, right? Like she is, and that's what you're disgusted with, and Wolfgang sees that, and he doesn't want a part of it because he's making that decision, whether he's going to rule or not rule or be left alone or not. Like he's got to make that decision because he can, and not everybody can make that decision because of our vices or whatever. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because it's reminding me of the scene earlier when he's with Sebastian. That's the name, Sebastian Fuck. (laughs) (laughs) And they're in the sauna and he thinks he's going to get betrayed by her, which he would because she's betraying, you know, Leela's trying to manipulate both of them. The ends justify the means kind of a plan. But he says to Wolfgang, can you really ever trust anyone or know anyone know anyone really i don't remember exactly the words but he basically says is it really even possible to to truly know someone and wolfgang says some people so meaning i know my cluster and we we know each other fully that when you move beyond you can know people yeah (laughs) You can know people. And and it also says he has the ability to truly know people. He may, you know, there are, he definitely can know people and see the layers of people to know them. And that's a trait that he has, which makes him awesome. Yeah, I like Wolfgang. Yeah, awesome. Well, it's been an interesting episode. It is. All right. Well, thank you very much, everyone, for tuning in and listening to us today and all your love on social media. For sure, if you want to get a hold of us, it's, that's at live underscore sensei on 
Twitter. You can support the show so we can grow over on patreon.com forward slash live since eight, where you can pick up some exclusive perks and classes and bonus content. And I got to give a big shout out to Miss Sarah Applegate for editing our podcast. Until next time, make conscious decisions. 